Hello, and welcome to the IDI, a podcast by and for market access professionals. I'm your host, Ira Apfel. Each episode of the IDI, we conduct in-depth interviews to help you optimize your value strategy and commercialization and give people access to the healthcare they deserve. The IDI is presented by Valuate Health Consultancy. Follow Valuate on LinkedIn or visit us at valuatehealth.com to learn more. Today, we're going to talk about two new developments in cancer care. One is from Medicare, and the other is from the American Society of Clinical Oncology, or ASCO. The Medicare development is called the Enhancing Oncology Model, or EOM. It just debuted in June, and its goal, quoting from a press release, is, quote, to transform care for cancer patients, reduce spending, and improve quality of care, end quote. The ASCO program is called the Patient-Centered Cancer Care Certification. It's a two-year pilot program that will certify outpatient oncology group practices and health systems that meet certain set of standards. Both the Medicare EOM and the ASCO PCCP have lofty goals, but can they attain them? And how will they impact patients? And also, how will they impact manufacturers and market access? To answer these questions, I'm bringing back my colleague, John Hennessy. John is Senior Vice President of Strategy with Valuate. He is also a former executive at several cancer care centers, so he brings operational experience to the conversation as well. John Hennessy, welcome back to the podcast. How are you doing today? I'm doing pretty well, Ira. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Thank you. Let's start with the enhancing oncology model. What is it and why does it matter? Sure. So, um, you know, we we have uh, recently ended the um, sort of the second uh, CMMI model. That's the Center for Medicare and Medicaid Innovation model of alternative payments and value-based, essentially value-based uh, care in oncology. The first one was a come home initiative, which was uh, managed by Barb McEnany and her group out of New Mexico and about 10 other practices that really demonstrated the value of an oncology medical home, sort of an advanced um, way of taking care of cancer patients that is certainly more proactive than reactive. And that little demonstration showed that you could um, reduce hospitalization, reduce ER visits, um, and and control costs, not necessarily reduce them, but certainly control them in a way that was different than the traditional Medicare fee-for-service system. That demonstration project essentially became the oncology care model or evolved into that. And that was a five-year model, which involved many more practices, started at almost 200 and ended which, uh, with a relatively smaller number. Um, but really taking the total oncology cost of care, building in some quality metrics and rewarding practices who were able to improve quality as well as control costs. And those are two elements, but both contributed towards, you know, sort of performance bonuses for the practices. And that uh, program ended in June of this year. And really the, the practices themselves were asking Medicare and, and saying, hey, we like this. We think this is a unique opportunity to do better for our patients. We would like Medicare to bring uh, forward another version of this. And while there was some back and forth as to how that was going to play out, you know, Medicare did announce around that time the enhancing oncology model, sort of the next version of the oncology care model. And right now we're in the application period where practices who are interested can apply to be part of this program. 
that extends through the end of this month, September of 2022. And really, that's the stage we're at now. The CMMI has said, this is what the program is going to be. If you're interested, apply. And then we're going to have about three to four, maybe five months of uh, Medicare and CMMI looking at those applications, trying to find the best of the best or who they want to work with. And we'll start hearing more about who's going to participate uh, in late winter and spring of next year. Okay, so a lot to unpack there. So this enhanced oncology model is uh, its just debuted. It's voluntary. It is kind of built on top of the oncology care model. Um, and what is uh, different or improved or, shall we say, enhanced about the EOM <laughs> compared to the, the OCM? I'm also curious, sorry, this is kind of long-winded, I apologize, but so uh, what is enhanced, but also who has, or what are some concerns about the uh, EOM too? Yeah, so I think three things that stand out are, uh, number one, it's a na more narrow focus. Instead of having all of oncology included in this model, it's really just seven or eight disease types that, that they're focused on. And, and not surprisingly, um, they are the more significant disease types. So it's breast cancer, uh, CLL, chronic lymphatic leukemia, uh, colorectal cancer, uh, lung uh, lymphomas, myeloma, and prostate cancer. So it's sort of a core set of cancers that they're going to be focused on. So it's it, we're not going to see the variations you see in in rare cancers that could maybe you know create some some swings that are sort of uh, outside of the norm. So much more of a focus than the prior model was. The second piece is that the oncology care model came with a monthly payment for essentially to reimburse the practices for uh, a more engagement with the patient really across the care continuum. So not just physician time, but nutritionists, physical therapists, all sorts of ancillary care that could be provided to the patient. That payment in the new model is about half what it used to be, which may be a reflection of the Medicare experience with the OCM model, which was even though care was better measurably for patients, it did wind up costing Medicare more than the fee-for-service system. The last big piece of this is there's going to be a focus on improving access to care and improving health equity to disadvantaged populations. And that, that's sort of a big uh, ask and how that's actually going to be delivered during this program um, is, is I think intriguing to see how that's going to play out. But if I were to look at the differences between the OCM model and this model, those are the three things that most people would call out as as significant. And do you think that uh, there has been any pushback on on the EOM, or do, do, does any or any of the very various disparate uh, interest groups, so so to speak, or interested parties have a problem with this? What what do patients think about it? What do payers think about it? You know, it's a really good question. I don't think patients, a lot of patients didn't know they were part of the oncology care model, and many won't really know if they're part of the uh, enhanced oncology model. Um, I think there are uh, there are outreach components to this in terms of treatment planning and things like that that are enhanced. Um, but because these models include all patients within the practices that participate, it's not like certain Medicare patients are going to see something differently uh, unless they happen to move between practices. Even then, it's really hard to, to isolate. Um, you know, the practices, I think, have pushed back, and, and reasonably so, that the, um, the monthly payment is less than it had been before, and the, the expectations are greater. 
Um, and, and that's not unreasonable for them to push back. And I think CMS is, is sort of challenged to offer an opportunity for patients to, or practices to perform better, do better for their patients and be rewarded for it. But they really can't you know, operationalize something that's going to cost more than the traditional uh, way care is delivered. And so there's a balancing act there. And we've had a lot of back and forth discussion, um, certainly uh, in the public about that. And I think there's certainly, I would expect that there have been discussions directly with CMMI that you and I aren't part of to try to figure out what the, the balance is there. At the end of the day, we'll know, you know, whether there's a, a good equilibrium there based on the number of applicants and the number of, of uh, practices that wind up signing contracts or, or you know, signing agreements to participate, uh, which, again, we'll find out in late winter, early spring of next year. Why is the enhanced oncology model focusing on just a few uh, cancers and not all of them? Uh, it, it's a numbers game. Uh, I think you you want to have anytime you are transferring risk from one organization to another, you want to make sure that risk is manageable. Um, and the those cancers are ones that are have relatively high prevalence um, and are uh, relatively mature in terms of the treatment opportunities that exist for these folks. We've got a lot of tools in breast cancer and multiple myeloma in those areas. And because they, there are enough patients in each practice, you're unlikely to see, you know, random variation driving results as opposed to, you know, a, a an expected uh, experience with uh, high volume cancers. If we were to say, throw in a cancer, we work on a, a, a cancer now called Pacoma, which is a relatively rare um, sarcoma, you know, what between 100 and 300 patients a year. Uh, if you were to put that into one of several hundred practices, you know, some practices may have very limited experience with it. Some practices may have rather extensive exposure to it. So it tends to smooth out the the variations on the end of either end of the bell curve when you focus on, you know, cancers of high prevalence. How should or how does this impact market access and pharma? It sounds like it's kind of very uh, practitioner based and obviously patient based. Yeah, I, I think the biggest way it does is it, it is that it uh, transfers risk. Um, and so traditionally, we have thought about payers, uh, insurance companies as the ones who are bearing risk for the total cost of care for the patients or bearing risk for the variation in that. And essentially what Medicare is doing is, is um, creating risk partners in the practices that participate in this. And so they are going to have economic benefit or risk, depending on how well they manage the cost of care for these patients. And not just the cost on you know, each particular therapy, but cost in terms of controlling hospitalization, controlling ER visits, um, managing side effects. So it's really a, a an opportunity to transfer risk. So the decision maker isn't necessarily someone working at a health plan. The decision maker may be the practices themselves as they look at of the many products they have to treat someone with multiple myeloma, what what product and in which order, which sequencing is going to deliver the best outcome for a particular population. And, and when exceptions are needed, that will happen at the practice level, not at the payer level. So does this transfer of risk and decision making that you, you spoke about, does it 
make things more challenging for pharma and market access professionals who are trying to come up with a value strategy and trying to obviously get their, uh, you know, their their um, drugs in in a, in a formulary, or does it uh, make it easier? I think it makes it 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 is uh, probably more challenging, but in other ways a little little easier. I think it's more challenging because uh, Medicare traditionally has not done a lot to manage the cost of oncology. They focus on price, but generally speaking, most oncology products, if they're FDA approved, are gonna wind up being approved by Medicare. And Medicare really doesn't put its thumb on the scale for any particular choice of product uh, other than um, the compendia, which generally speaking these days is the NCCN guidelines. Typically practices will look at the NCCN guidelines and, off, and choose a, a, from a more narrow set of options. And a, and a great example of this is when we look at the NCCN guidelines for multiple myeloma in uh, first line treatment and in early relapse, there are, are a number of choices that the NCCN guidelines really don't offer a lot of differentiation as to which might be better or not for patients. Practices are gonna take a deeper dive on that and potentially take what might be five or seven choices and narrow that down to two or three choices. So the message to the payer, to Medicare, might be please cover our product. The message to the practice who is bearing risk or some degree of risk here is please cover our product or select it or prefer our product because of X, Y, and Z. So it's, it is a more focused um, uh, message, but it may take advantage of attributes of, of a particular company's product in a way that you know a more global you know sort of laissez-faire approach would not does the fact that the eom is voluntary hurt its impact is there a sample selection bias going on there yeah it's a really good question and certainly what we've seen in other areas like in the bundled payments model is that the the high performing practices chose to chose to participate in bundled payments and the low performing practices, and this is a broad generalization, tended not to. And so the the really good practices, you know, were aggressive and performed really well. And and sort of the, the good got better and, and did better, um, but they didn't really move the curve as much as, you know, the, the good practices separated a little bit. Um, I, I think that's a, that's a concern anytime you have a voluntary model. I think um, Medicare last year looked at a radiation oncology um, you know, advanced payment model that was going to be mandatory. Um, they eventually wound up taking that off the table because there was a lot of pushback. So you do get, I think, selection bias. I mean, you're if you are applying to be part of the enhancing oncology model, it's because you think you have a, a delivery model for taking care of patients that will allow you to be successful in that model. Uh, if you don't think you have that, you probably don't apply for it. And some of that may be just that it's a very complicated business to, to run. Oncology clinically is complicated. When you start adding in logistics and financial toxicities and economics, it becomes even more complex. So I think you'll see sophisticated organizations that have uh, really set themselves up to be successful in oncology care model, being the ones that are most likely to apply for the enhancing oncology model, and smaller practices who who are challenged to you know, to have that sort of sophistication might still be sitting on the outside because it just seems like a, you know, too, too, too tall a mountain to climb um, with relatively limited infrastructure. What does Medicare plan to do 
with the OCM and now the EOM? Do they plan to take all the learnings and kind of make it mandatory for um, all cancer care, uh, you know, centers and, and practices? It's a really good question. And, and clearly the learnings from OCM influence the enhancing oncology model. So we're clearly seeing sort of a 3.0 of, of advanced uh, payment models for oncology. Um, it's not really clear how this is going to play out. Um, at the same time we're discussing this, I think we mentioned uh, last week that the uh, proposed alternative payment model for radiation oncology was taken off the table indefinitely. And I think there are folks there who are you know, thankful that it was been taken off the table because they didn't like the way it, it looked and felt, felt. But it's possible also that Medicare might not put it back on the table ever again. And if you think of the alternative, uh, what we've seen, uh, in, at least in this year, is some pretty significant decreases in the uh, Medicare physician fee schedule. And so if Medicare can't do things to, you know, that are going to control volume of services and improve quality of services, you know, the, the, the way the balloon gets squeezed is the fee schedules go down. And that's not in anybody's particular interest either. So it's not entirely clear where this, where this goes. I think there is a, the administration certainly had an interest in doing something here. The, the, the big uh, practices in the last um, first six months of this year, we're all talking about their interest in continuing in some sort of alternative payment model. We didn't see that necessarily on the radiation oncology side. So I think the the interest on the provider side to do these things also influences Medicare's interest in doing this. All that said, you know, Medicare at the same time has been growing the Medicare Advantage population. They've had good success in cost containment in, in traditional global ACOs. And it's entirely possible that that's the direction they go um, somewhere down the line. Okay, so how should I be thinking about the EOM if I run market access for a manufacturer? What steps am I taking right now? What questions am I asking? So I, I, we've suggested two things. One is watchful waiting. You know, I, I think it's uh, it is a little early to start making plans because we really don't know who's going to participate and who isn't, and and no one's tipping their cards here. So it, it, you you could wind up doing a whole lot of work, and if it turns out not many practices participate, that you may not get the reward from that. That said, I think it's a perfectly good good time to do some modeling to do you know we call it uh, you know the workshopping or wargaming or scenario planning. Um, that would be a really good thing to do as well, and think about well what type of customer might participate. If they do participate, how will they behave differently than they do today? And what do we need to do to make sure that those customers understand the value of the products we bring to them? I want to turn now to a, a slightly different uh, um, model or certification that's that's also just uh, debuted. It's in its uh, pilot program phase right now that's also dealing with cancer care, and it's called the Patient-Centered cancer care certification. What is the PCCP and why does it matter? Yeah, so this is a, it's a different approach. And if we think of the enhancing oncology model as being a top, sort of a top-down, you know, payer-driven approach coming from CMMI, the ASCO model, and it's been done in cooperation with the Community Oncology Alliance, those those two organizations have, have gotten together as sort of a top-up or bottom-up model to say, this is how we as providers think good cancer care ought to be delivered. 
and they've created sort of a sense of certification, a sense of, you know, a set of standards. And I, I wouldn't call them minimum standards. I think they're very high standards for delivering great uh, cancer care. Got about 500 oncologists and 12 practices participating. Everything from relatively small community practices like New England Cancer Specialists up in little practice that that is taking care of that community for many, many years, all the way through, um, you know, Jefferson Health, Sydney Kimmel in uh, Baltimore. And uh, I think uh, Tennessee Oncology, a, a very big statewide practice. So a really broad group of folks who've made a commitment to structurally delivering high quality care to their patients. And there really isn't a risk model here. It's as much a demonstration at this point, but they're working with Anthem and Cigna to share data and see how these practices who have committed to this level of performance are actually impacting utilization, volume of services and care sort of across the spectrum. So I think it's an interesting sort of, uh, you know, bottom up um, commercial, you know, sort of business focused approach to improving care and, and setting a very high bar and living up to it. I realize that the patient-centered care certification and the enhanced oncology model, they, they, they weren't devised to talk to each other, if you get my drift, but are they kind of, is the PCCP and the EOM, are they kind of talking past each other because one's bottom up and one's top down and never the twain shall meet? No, I think actually the twain probably do meet. I think the the practices who are participating in the ASCO pilot are probably as well positioned as anyone to succeed in the enhancing oncology model. Um, so I, I would be, if to the extent there are a group of practices who do participate, I would expect that uh, most of the practices in this, um, the, the ASCO pilot would probably participate in EOM. In fact, they probably complement each other from on a side to side basis. In other words, performing to the standards of the ASCO pilot will contribute to your success in a model like the enhancing oncology model. And uh, what kind of uh, thinking should uh, manufacturers and, and market access folks be doing about uh, the patient center cancer um, uh, certification, uh, the PCCP? Should they be thinking about it at all or because it's, it's bottom up, so to speak, it's 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 not really rising to their level. Oh, I think they absolutely should be thinking about it because um, these are our key uh, practice leaders within the country and and practices, quite frankly, that many others look up to. Um, and um, you know, there are a handful of these practices. You know, Center for uh, Cancer and Blood Disorders, Tennessee Oncology, um, the uh, Centers for uh, or Cancer and Hematology Centers of Western Michigan, all part of one oncology. A really a uh, large and meaningful and significant provider system. So, um, you know, providing a value of your products to an organization like that is going to be meaningful, not just for those participating in this pilot, but for affiliate organizations as well. So the pilot is about reducing hospital utilization, appropriate drug utilization, things like that. So to the extent my product or or the regimen I'm offering has those uh, attributes, I absolutely want to be talking about those attributes to these types of customers. Last question for you. What is next for the enhanced oncology model uh, and also for the patient-centered, uh, you know, cancer certification? Uh, what's next for those two um, initiatives? Yeah, so the enhanced oncology model, we have, the application period is open through the end of this year. 
uh, or sorry, not through the end of the year, through the end of September. Uh, I'm not sure we'll hear a whole lot uh, until uh, sometime in the first quarter of next year. There really isn't any um, need for either CMMI or the app applying practices to, to say much at that point. It really is what we'll start seeing is uh, practices being offered agreements by CMMI and either choosing to to participate or not. Bo Gamble from COA had a really great quote and said it was sort of like um, you know, college applications. You send your applications in and you worry about which college you're going to attend once you find out if you're in or not. Uh, I think that's kind of, you know, sort of that waiting period is what we'll see uh, this fall and winter. And then starting winter, spring is when things are going to start getting kind of exciting. From the uh, from the ASCO patient-centered cancer care certification pilot, uh, we should see the rest of the practice. I think nine practices are certified now. The other three will probably get their certification shortly. My sense is that they will work directly with Anthem and Cigna, starting to share data, starting to look at quality metrics and things like that. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if we saw something come out at the ASCO annual meeting in June reporting on some of the early experience here, but it's a two-year pilot, so they'll have a, a couple more opportunities to, to share data, and certainly within their group, they're going to be sharing data and best practices, I'm sure. Well, John Hennessy, hopefully we'll have you back soon to kind of talk about uh, the latest goings on and findings of the EOM and the PCCP uh, at some point in 2023, or hopefully uh, sooner than that with more uh, cancer treatment updates. John Hennessy, thank you so much for being on the podcast today. You're welcome, Ira. I look forward to talking again soon. That's it for this episode of the IDI. My thanks again to guest John Hennessy. Looking forward to talking to him again soon. Be sure to follow John on LinkedIn and be sure to follow the IDI on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Follow Valuate on LinkedIn or visit us on the web at valuatehealth.com to learn more. Thanks for listening.